Welcome to another episode of Knights at the Brown Table, a podcast with three Pacific Islanders sharing our views and the lens through which we see the world. My name is Sefa. I'm Sila. To the vast intellectual space of the interest in the whole song show, she's just a mattress of this generation who sometimes claims the colonizers of my heritage, who are German Chinese, and who is also a singer, songwriter, turned journalist, a photographer, a ballerina, um, wow. a dancer, and I'm also Splatoon a gospeler. Because mm. I'm really, oh, Splatoon Master mm-hmm. on Nintendo Switch. Feel free to add me. Um, <laughs> and a Jesus follower. Because you don't, you have a song as well released with Splatoon, yeah? Yeah. How does it go? Uh, so it goes like. <laughs> Are you the tentacle head one? Yes! People who are I'm just really surprised at the noise that came out of your mouth. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> when he performed it off right, because he was just like, oh my gosh, because this is to the song, okay. And so yeah, I was just like, oh, I'm waiting for the lyrics. And he was just like, that's how they sound. I was just show you after. Well, no, you sh- you sent the video. Yeah, that was me, and my friend. Yeah, but I was because uh, there's two people in the video, two character, two avatars. Yeah, so we're actually like, well, singing. Yeah. Oh, is that you actually singing? Yeah. yeah. And actually, did you listen to it? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did not think. And my friend was a little bit like, yeah, your hype man, your your hype man, yeah, hype woman. Well, that's what I'm surprised about because I didn't when you sent me the video. I didn't think that was you singing. But now that you sang it now in real life, I was like, holy hell! He's gone viral. He's going to do a live concert as well. Yeah, I did. Um, we we put it in our little group, like the Splatoon group on Facebook. It's not little; it's a big group. Sixty likes. (laughs) Viral. Viral. Seventeen comments. How many comments? Seventeen. Planting seeds, guys. You're hearing this for free. Everyone who's listening, you can edit this out. But everyone who's looking down, they're like, what? I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> what the <laughs> heck is he talking about? Um, so, World Suicide Prevention Day was on Thursday, the 10th of September. So, to open it up, we know that this can be a very sensitive topic, so we want to approach this uh, with sensitivity, as well as just warning in case there may be it may trigger some responses, but the whole purpose of this episode is for us to talk about it, talk about some things that we can do to prevent suicide as well. And I can also preface this that we are not professionals. Mm-hmm. What we say is coming from our own experiences. So take that with what you will and yeah. Do any of us have a family member or part of your extended family that has attempted suicide or has committed suicide in answer to that have we yes yes mine's a positive yes as well and if so what has been the attitude of family members in speaking about the person or the act communication isn't very good with the situation that we're in whereas i don't it's it's a hard i find it a hard balance to begin with as in how how much do we speak about it that is appropriate of the subject and when does it become not overbearing, but when does it become trivial? I don't want it to be tr- spoken about so light, so often that it becomes light. And so I've, I find that a balancing act in and of itself. But in regards to how family members have reacted to it, I would say the communication has been very minimal. 
and I find that odd. It was just kind of mentioned at one point to me, and that was it. Going through memory of the different people in my family that have, the first response is always, why? Why did they do it? And then usually the second response is, oh, if only, you know, they talked to us or... Because, you know, in our grief, a lot of us try to think of what could have been done. That's been the main response, including the religious doctrine regarding suicide. It can be very... Some of the rhetoric that would that would be talked about was they would say, oh, they're very weak or they should have prayed more about it. And then some of the other things where people would say that people who, who are successful with their suicide attempts that they're going to hell. And that has been a very harmful thing for when, when reflecting on the person that has passed as well as the family. That's been my family's response, I think. When it comes to the experiences I've had, it's majority of the times it's usually with friends. So there's not sort of like communication links to my family. Um, but within my family, if someone has entrusted me to open up and be vulnerable about how they feel, I haven't discussed it with like other members of my family. I've just been, it's been a one-on-one type situation. I'm not sure if that's the best way to, I guess, really handle like the gravity of the situation you want to be respectful to the person with how they feel and because they're entrusting you with that vulnerableness that they share. But you, you also don't want to not say something and then potentially something happening and then regretting the fact that you didn't raise concerns with do other you have, people. Do you have a bigger support network? Yeah. Yeah. And that one, I don't know either. This one could be... Put to, these two questions could be put together. What are the warning signs of suicide and what could you do if you think someone is suicidal? To be honest, I don't know. I, I would assume kind of being withdrawn from, like, especially if it's out of character for that person. Like, obviously, but something is wrong with if people are withdrawn in general. Mm. I, I find it, the older I'm getting, I'm finding it more difficult to recognize. Only because when you're an adult... When people are withdrawn, sometimes people just get busy and they're out like they just you just don't see people as often. There isn't a set frequency at which you would see um, even socially friends and stuff. So I, I, I find it difficult to navigate if something's wrong or if they're just busy. I don't know. I think out of character is a good yeah. a guideline per se, because when you are out of character, you're not always just withdrawn. You can be out of character in now you're eventually like somehow you're incredibly busy, you're keeping yourself very busy, or you're on the opposite end of the spectrum where you're closed off to mm. everything and everyone. Mm. But out of character is definitely an attribute that could be a warning sign. Went on to Leva Pacifica, they have a website which was super helpful because it's been tailored for Pacifica people, so they take into consideration the fact that spirituality is a massive part mm. of, of our culture and our community. And some of the things that they put down, that they're an uh, example of risk factors for Pacific com communities when it comes to some examples. So, so what to look for? So they say that there are changes in behavior, changes in mood, changes in thinking, and then physical changes. Some of the changes in behavior, like we talked about, was withdrawing. School or work problems, not being able to do what they used to do, behaving recklessly and dangerous 
and dangerously and self-destructive behavior, increased use of alcohol or drugs, relationship problems, being bullied, self-harm, giving away their special things or getting their affairs in order as if they are leaving, getting access to things that could help them take their own life, such as drugs and suicide notes, and then paying attention to changes in behavior, changes in thinking and physical changes as well. There are a lot of telltale signs, especially to you know with those that we are in close relationship with. With me over the years, I've had a lot of suicide ideation where a lot of the people who are very close to me, they can tell, but a lot of the time I will put on a front that I'm okay because the last thing you want you want people to do is worry about you. You don't want to be a burden. Mm. And because the onslaught, for me, not for everyone, the onslaught, for me, the onslaught of the attack that I have going on in my head is so strong that I've become like just very quiet a lot of the time when I'm home. So I put on a front in front of people that I'm okay. And then as soon as I'm at home, I self-isolate and I lock myself in the room. And so there are physical changes as well. And so I think with with us, it's paying attention to the people that we know. And if anything that we see is like out of character, or whatever, then we should ask questions. But it's weird if people ask questions and they don't have a relationship with you. But I, I mean, it's, it's yes and no. Like I, I would want to assume the best intent mm. in that person who's asking the questions. It does come across the wrong way, but I, I assuming that it's coming from a good place, I totally get it. Yeah. No, where no, you're no. just, yeah. especially I find a lot of people find it more comfortable talking to strangers yeah. Yeah. about more personal stuff mm-hmm. because there's no ramification that, and yeah. there's and sometimes there's no follow up yeah. yeah there's no expectation they can just kind of say it is what it is mm-hmm. and they can just let it all out it has it can become trivialized in how people do ask but the are you okay yeah i think just asking i i i try make it a point just to ask i can do better in regards to actually trying to understand their response because when people say like oh i'm okay reading into it like how do they sound what are their facial expressions that sort of stuff for me it's just words like if you say the words i'm okay and that that kind of is it for me where i'll take Mm. you at face value but i think i can do better in the instances for the experiences i've had and for myself as well what has really helped is just investing your time into the person yeah. and not in a way where you want to solve what how they're feeling but just coming from a place of understanding how they feel acknowledging it and then being there for them mm-hmm. listening to them we've kind of unpacked this in our mental health episode but i remember we were talking about just being there in that moment listening letting them talk and acknowledging how they feel recognizing how they feel you can you can say that i'm i'm sorry that you feel this way you know just validating that the feelings that they have whether big or small yeah whether big or small and being there with them in that moment With me, uh, it was oh, the most recent one was like end of last year, and so I last year was a tough year for me, and it went on. Oh why am I crying? Carried on to this year, and so um, when things got really bad, my family and my and my close friends, I could see that they do the whole thing of if I say I'm okay, they just take it at face value and they leave me. Mm. And if the thing with me is I will push you away, but. 
not that I'm encouraging encouraging anyone to watch Thirteen Reasons Why, but um, there's a scene in, and I think it was like one of the episodes where, as the guy's going over the last moment he saw her, and she was just like, "Go away," and he goes back to how he's just like he would have forced himself to stay. And so for me, last year when things got intensely bad for me and and um, my ideation, my sister because I locked everyone out and so I I would go to work if I managed to get myself out of bed to go to work I would come home and I locked the door and so my sister would try she she would like knock on the knock on the door she would bring me food I wouldn't open the door um, because in my mind I was trying really hard to fight through um, and because for me I had done everything else beforehand I went for walks I danced around. I forced myself to watch TV shows and movies to try and cry it out. And I did everything that I usually do, but nothing was working. I kept waking up every morning, and the first thing that came to my mind every morning was, I can't believe I'm still alive. And I'll get so pissed off and upset because I just wanted it to end. And it was so hard for me to shake the mood off. And so my sister, what she did was she messaged my cousin that I work with because she had tried everything and she told my cousin if she could ask me because I told my, my sisters earlier that I'm, I'm struggling. I kept saying, oh, I'm going to go get counselling, but I kept putting it off. After I had made a plan and I had put things in order, I had written letters and done things as to, oh, this is what I need to do next, I had already resigned myself to the fact that, oh, this is it. And so I was trying to bottle up everything and not talk to anyone because in my mind, I was just like, nothing would change my mind. And so what happened was I went, my cousin was just like, let's go to lunch. I was like, okay. And so I'm sitting there. And the constant thing I keep saying to my, I kept saying to myself was, don't break, don't talk. This is it. This is done. And so as we're sitting there, she was just like, Sila, are you okay? And I just broke down. We're like in the middle of a food court. And I broke down crying because I realized, like, in that moment from that question, that deep down, I really didn't want to live. I just thought that no one really valued me, Mm. valued me or valued my life because I didn't value it as well. And so from that one question, we had a conversation. I then went on to talk to my sisters and them about why I was, I didn't understand what I was going through. But the massive breakthrough was the next day at work, HR from work. She came over to my desk out of nowhere and she was just like, Sila, can we have a talk? And I was like, yeah, okay. And when I walked outside, she was like, are you okay? And I was like, no. And straight away, she was able to put me through to the counsellor. And then I went through counselling again, which was probably, I think, about the fourth time in my life that I've gone through counselling. And so for me, I'm grateful for the people around me trying all the things that I've tried to try and get better but having getting that professional help, going through counselling, going through cognitive behavioural therapy. Later on, my counsellor was able to incorporate narrative therapy as well. Just the fact that there is ways to get help has been a, a massive, massive blessing for me. Like when you're in the crux of it, you can't think of anything else. Mm. And like I think that's something that I love about Afterlife, the, the TV show by Ricky Gervais is... There are so many forces, seen and unseen, that try to help us in the moments of deep depression. But sometimes when you're just in there, the loudest voice is the ones in your head telling you that you're not good enough, that your life is worth nothing, that no one loves you, no one will really care if you go. But 
that's totally a lie. That's all a lie. You matter. People love you. People are rooting for you to succeed. And I think that's something that getting professional help and having your family and friends around you, it's important for us to try and try and have that. When it comes to what you just said, sharing that with other people, do you believe that about yourself now? Yeah. Like I think about you I, mattering and yeah, stuff. and I think that's the massive thing. Like I remember even in the the random things, like not just my family, even like randomly, Lamar used to <laughs> used to message and call me. And at the time, we weren't even that tight, and so he would come pick me up because I don't drive. <laughs> he would come pick me up and like bring me to his house. We would literally just hang and eat, and it was just like the random kind of things where I could see that. It's the fact that when people notice and they actually do something and opposed to people noticing and just, oh, they just need to be alone. That's the last thing. Um, something that I love that my little sister did when she came with her husband, as soon as she found out I was struggling, she drove 10 hours of her little family to Sydney. And something that she did was I was trying really hard to be present and I couldn't. And so I had a moment where I just had to go to the room because I was struggling. So I'm sitting there. She comes over and she was just like, you okay? I was like, yeah. (laughs) And she didn't ask me any questions, but she literally just lied down next to me on her phone. And it was just the whole physical presence of she didn't feel that she needed to fix me. But Mm. being there was a massive feeling of, oh, she she wants to just be with me. (laughs) Does that make sense? Mm. That made a massive, that was a big deal. I remember that that spell specifically because it taught me a lot on how to be a better friend. Like this is something specific to me in that situation where I should have been better more than just asking, are you okay? I mean, in combination with all of the other stories that I've shared about my friendship, you're wondering how are we even still friends? (laughs) (laughs) Because it doesn't sound like I'm a very good or reliable friend. But no, I, I think we can be better. And do better. So, certain experiences that I've had, uh, especially when it comes to being part of the LGBTQIA plus community is when we couple that with religion, it becomes hard for us to kind of comprehend seeing a life. Sorry. When you're at church and everybody's talking about like eternal families, for me growing up, because for me growing up, I knew that an eternal family was probably something I wouldn't ever be able to experience because of the person that I am. I was able to grow and strengthen myself from that. But seeing some of my brothers and sisters who have struggled, who are older now and have struggled because of the way that they feel, coupling that with church, it has become incredibly difficult to try and detach themselves from the toxic notion of what is both doctrine and then like church culture in a sense. Because... When you're in the thick of, like when Stella was saying, when you're in the crux of things, like all you see is red. You you see there's no sense of compromising with anyone or anything because you've already made up your mind on how you want to progress with things. So being able to 
help my brothers and sisters who are feeling that way. I think it's become very important for me and for them to understand that there is a life, whether or not you are LGBTQIA+, or whether or not there are other struggles that you have in life, whether it's addiction or abuse or whatnot, you know, we're not, we're not perfect people. We all have our own struggles, but there is always a life, whether you're religious or not, but trying to destigmatize that sort of toxicity that comes with the church and religious faith and people telling you that you are not enough and that how you are as a person is inadequate and the feelings of being a mistake because a lot of us feel as though we're mistakes and that how we were created like we just we're just mistakes that god created it's been a lot of work to and a lot of unpacking but at the same time it's also been rewarding to the point where people for my for myself and also some of my friends that I see who were struggling at one point to see them thriving and to see them being able to live their truths now has been very empowering for me Mm. yeah was there a particular person that helped you through that time period to reconcile what it is you were going through or was there a specific incident that just kind of you had an epiphany that helped you see beyond i think for that particular experience what helped me because i've had quite a few experiences but for that particular when it comes to being true to who i was i eventually came out i was getting pressured a lot from the church to receive a certain placehold within the Mm -hmm. church and i was feeling incredibly uncomfortable and then i remember in that situation it was myself it was my dad and it was two church leaders and they just kept pestering me about, you know, receiving this ordinance. Mm-hmm. And I kept telling them, oh, like, can I just think about it and I'll see how I feel. My dad could see how uncomfortable I was in that moment when he asked the brethren if I could be excused. And I remember going into my room because, like, I think it was just one of those, like, cliche movies where my room was dark and everything that I bottled up onto that point just exploded and I just like felt the gravity of that bottle exploding but that night I came out to my parents I remember my dad asking me that he could tell that I was uncomfortable in that situation and he asked me if there was something that was wrong and then I told my dad I said dad I'm gay and I remember when I verbalized those words to my father I felt like this whole weight lifted off of me My dad was my dad was really good. <laughs> I remember, like when I came out to my dad, he said, "Oh yeah, like I already knew that. Like when you used to do like when you did little leagues, yeah. I, we were near." <laughs> he was like mouthing along with you. <laughs> like, and there was such a sense of relief because I saw how coming out for other people have has been incredibly traumatizing, but. From there, I, I came out to my family and to everyone else. And I remember when I did come out to my family that night, he asked my brother and sister, like, do you, how do you feel about your older brother? And we were all crying at this point. And my brother and sisters, were, they told me, oh, he's the best big brother. <laughs> and we love him. So they really helped me recognize, uh, validate, validated how I felt mm-hmm. and how I am as a person which eventuated into me being able to help other people. So I'm very grateful for, I'm very grateful and I'm also very lucky to have the family that I have. 
there are a lot of factors that I think as Pacific Islanders, when it comes to the topic of suicide, that we are battling. That there are a lot of great things about our heritage and religion. There are things that do need to change and that we can adapt and we can grow mm. and like the word that you were saying, grow instead of not necessarily change, but that we need to grow. There are some important statistics that can be viewed online, especially if we mess up like the point two percent, like whatever it is that, especially if we read them wrong. But there are startling statistics when it comes to how suicide affects Pacific Islanders. Yeah. It is a bigger issue than we think it is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of families address it the same way that my experience has been about the subject, where it's not spoken about at all. Yeah. And I think sometimes they think that if we don't talk about it, it'll discourage it. Yeah. So uh, the, if we talk about it, they think that uh, it'll it'll spread more people, more of our kids, more of our family mm. will feel the need. But the thing is, if we remove the stigma of the fact that we don't talk about it, it opens the door to people in the family feeling comfortable enough to know that we can talk about anything. Mm. That if you are struggling, that this is a safe place, and your 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 opinions, your voice, your life matters, and we will let's all work together. And I think that's that's the thing that we need to try to foster more within our families within the Pacifico community mm. as well. I noticed like with a lot of us, we all we are always that I will be there for you, I'll come through. But when it comes to talking, traumatic things mm. that have happened with in families, different situations, we don't talk. Mm. And we need to remove that. We need to talk. Uh, the concern that if we do talk about it, that it will encourage it. There are there are situations where that can happen and has happened. Mm. In my opinion, it just needs to reassess how it is that we're talking about it. Mm. Like you said, the first step is removing the stigma, point number one, but also the way in which we approach it. Mm. How does your family address the subject in a good way? I have no example because we don't. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be straight up. So um, the First time I actually tried to attempt, I was about, oh, I think, 14, 15. And I stopped myself in time, but I left some of the things that I should have taken away because I was busy crying, and I went to another room, and then my dad found the stuff. And my dad, what he did was he beat me <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I shouldn't laugh, but that's what he did. He fussied the hell out of me mm. and as he was fussing me he um what he said to me was in his way i don't know why but he goes i don't want you to go to hell so next time you want to do this come to me i'll kill you instead um but i know that for him is because he didn't know what to do mm. he didn't know what was happening i was very young but seeing how it's very different now because how my dad is now is we literally have conversations. When I went down to Melbourne last, which was only a few weeks ago, my dad had all of us kids, except for my sister Noor, who's still here, who was still here at the time. And he asked us, do any of you guys suffer from depression? And literally me, it was like all of us, we said yes. And my, bro- my dad asked, have any of you guys, and I think he forgot about that time when I was, when I was young. And then some of us, we nodded our heads and my dad cried. <laughs> And then he said to us, he goes, I don't want you to, I don't want you to suffer alone. And then he shared about how for him, he struggled with that as well. And so seeing that with, with my family, I can see that my dad has, he's grown a lot Mm. since then. And at the same time, us kids, we try to foster more of an open communication with each other because we don't want it to happen again, especially with some of our relatives who we love and I still grieve for but who we have lost because of suicide. 
So it's not something that I've really unpacked as a family per se. Like I said earlier before, it's more so being one-on-one and me helping one-on-one. But one thing that has really helped both myself and my circle of male friends is I've kind of invested and taken the time to kind of destigmatize the toxic masculinity when it comes to expressing Mm. ourselves as people. Mm. So by doing things such as being vulnerable with them and allowing them the time and space to be vulnerable with me to the point where we're able to kind of unpack how we actually feel about certain things and also just like little things like saying oh I love you it's really helped me cultivate and foster beautiful relationships that I have with my male friends Mm. whether they're like you know part of the community or if they are heterosexual like it doesn't really matter but what I've seen is what matters the most is just like having that time for people and giving them that time and space to grow into that uh, or grow into the the practice of being able to share how they feel i've seen that to be beneficial when when i'm in a dark place i know that one of the the, the things that helps me the most is giving my time mm. and seeing other people like thrive and being happy i don't know how but that they're the way they they express themselves and the way that they can be comfortable and thriving in their emotions somehow transcends to me being like me feeding off of that energy yeah. if that makes sense yeah how about you so far like do you have you know with 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 friends and family that you feel that are that are struggling what are some things that you've done or even with yourself like what are some things that you've done in order to help or to get better or feel better like um Based on the example of last year with your experience, I didn't do much, but I just try and ask. I honestly just yeah. try and ask. No, but the thing is, I do remember you asking all the time, and you would always ask, are you okay? And then I'll just do the, yep, yeah, no, I'm fine, I'm okay, which is still something. It's the whole asking thing. I, think I just try, yeah, I just try and ask, only because I'm not emotionally intuitive. Yeah. I would call myself that. I'm not, I'm not emotionally intuitive mm. in reading people. Even though, some, I swear, honestly, at one point, I honestly thought like, man, I can read people so well. No, I can't. I'm not very good. <laughs> uh, just like I thought I was an introvert last week. And I'm not <laughs> oh <my God>. one. <laughs> um, I, for me, it has to always be verbal. Only because for me, the way I communicate is what I say is what I mean. And so for me, I, I, I kind of assume that in other people, but that's not always the case. Mm. Not always the case. So I always just try and be verbal because that's the best I can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't know. No, I, I don't I, I get that. I'm trying to be better, but I'm just, it takes a whole lot of like for me, emotional I, capacity. I, I feel like communication is very good, yeah. mm. but there are different ways that you oh, can communicate. communicate yeah. Your one might not be verbal. Or it is verbal. <laughs> but there are other attributes that you may have that have helped other people you just don't, don't even know. know. Yeah, like some people, for me, I try and just kind of be around mm. and be like positive. And like if you're looking, kind of like Timon and Pumbaa effect. Yeah. If you're looking to forget, come hang out. <laughs> no, but come and hang out. Something I noticed over the years that I've always seen you do is I've always seen you like, so, oh, why am I getting emotional? Yeah, no, why are you getting emotional? I was like, oh. I'm such a zook. But something that I've always seen, I've always... 
I've picked up seeing you do mm. is that whenever there's someone who kind of doesn't fit in the group or in the crowd, mm. I've always seen you go sit with them. <laughs> and you would literally just, and you're not doing it to put on shows so that mm. people can think you're a good person, but you will literally go sit with them and have conversation, which helps people feel included. Mm. And so that's something that I love that I've picked up on you doing. And you might not think you're being emotive, but that's something that I've seen as a characteristic that is a massive blessing. Only if they have a guitar that I can steal, <laughs> that I can steal and play Jason Mraz songs on it. I miss no. the love. Yeah. There's, there are moments where, especially when, when someone is feeling like that, mm. but some of the most profound moments is when you feel seen, mm. whether it's intentional or not, but when someone's able to acknowledge your existence, mm. even if just, just as little as your existence, it has such a profound impact. Massive. Because I think about it, don't know, like even though I was a loudmouth the whole time, <laughs> like growing up, it didn't stop me from feeling alone sometimes. Yeah. I'll be honest about Definitely. that part. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, as much as it was as therapeutic, talking to like kind of loners and strangers mm. yeah. that way is as therapeutic for them as it is for me for in yeah. regards to, as long as feeling. I have, yeah, I know the feeling yeah. of when you're speaking and you feel like no one's listening to Big you. Time. Yeah. It's, disheartening yeah to say the least mm. and so in those situations i think it's why i'm like that i, I think it's why yeah. i'm like that that has been a subconscious thing mm. for me mm. rather than because i didn't notice that until you mm. whenever you i speak to you you bring it up mm. but i never think that oh, it's because i'm i love to people watch yeah. i used to like, think i, I do is, it all the but time i love to people judge that's what i do so <laughs> i don't just people watch <laughs> I people judge that's my problem <laughs> See, you're probably looking at it as in watching, assessing, observing. Yeah. Now, mine is passing judgment. <laughs> <laughs> I like to look and judge. <laughs> okay, Simon Cowell, relax. That is me. Because another way of saying, are you okay, is, hey, are you hungry? Oh. <laughs> uh, yes, I am. No, no, no that's true. Because yeah. for me, that's how I, that's another way of me saying I connect? love you. And I'm like, so I will either get something, I'm like, yeah. oh. And I constantly, or you can do the, oh, how's work going? Or how's something going? Because it fosters the, the whole mm. open communication. Even as little as like, I know there was this experience I had where you say, are you okay? And they say, yeah. And then you ask, are you sure? Mm. And then it's like a follow-up question. Yeah. And then it's happened to me where the person was, was like you know what actually i'm not doing that okay so yeah. just like that's a basic one are you okay are you sure yeah because for me i would always do the hey are you okay not like are you really like mm. are you sure everything's all right and being prepared to just be there for yeah. them and to like sometimes we don't always have the answer but the whole thing of hugging a person to reassure them that like i love you is such a big thing it's such a big deal yeah like they're giving it and i don't want to be like those instagram people where i'm recording myself going to sit with loners and stuff like that whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready. <laughs> when on those whenever stupid videos my gosh i'm not gonna you're never gonna find me recording my hand I holding groceries and giving that. it to people they're but kind of performing i will i will say this though it is a very gratifying experience when you genuinely mm. are able to be there for somebody yeah, yeah. It's extremely uncomfortable for those, if you're like me, you'll find the first moment very uncomfortable trying to stick it out. Mm. But once you do, I've found it very, it's it's a wonderful feeling mm. to be able to give and help somebody. Also, there are, so there are going to be a lot of 
resources and statistics that we'll put up with this podcast just mm. so that you are aware of it. It's not something that we need to share about necessarily mm. through the yeah. voice, but there are statistics, important statistics to be aware of it being, especially being Pacific Islander. Yeah. This isn't something that is we're immune to. And just for as well, because I know that a lot of us have parents that don't, some of us or even ourselves that are not very good with English comprehension. What I love is that Leva Pacifica, they have resources that have been translated. Right now, they only have Samoan, Tongan, and, and Te Reo Māori, where it can help parents be able to understand what depression is. And so that's, that's a, a really good resource as well to end it off. Thinking of the lives that have been lost, and at the same time, there are a lot of people that are struggling right now, especially with COVID restrictions mm-hmm. in different parts of Australia. Within There are certain states where people are really struggling and so a lot of people have suicide ideation or may um, have self-harm or may have a thinking or making attempts. And this is just for us to let you know. It's probably like a sign of sign from God um, at this moment for you to know that you matter. There are people, seen and unseen, that are rooting for you, that love you and that are holding you up. And so we hope that in this moment that you seek help. We can put up the the numbers. If if right now you don't feel comfortable to talk to anyone that you know, we'll put up the phone numbers for Australia and New Zealand. We hope that you're able to take a moment to just to remember that and and insert that in. So, yeah.